0: So many times traders are told to follow their head, not their hearts, but can traders be more self-aware and apply the science of psychology
1: to the art of trading? So my role is to help them literally think about their thinking, step back, become aware of that perfectionistic self-talk so that they can truly serve as their own coach. Today
0: we chat to Dr. Brett Steenbarger, a psychologist and performance coach for hedge fund portfolio managers who analyzes the cognitive, behavioral, and emotional reasons why traders make the decisions they do. And
1: there are lots of opportunities.
0: 100 point swing on the down. You've got to distinguish between mistakes and losses. Maybe they should lay off the coffee in the morning, you know. The history of financial markets and the history of economies is cyclical. The Artful Trader. Hi, and welcome to The Artful Trader. I'm Michael McCarthy, the Chief Market Strategist at CMC Markets Asia-Pacific. Each episode, we'll hear the highs and lows from the trading experts and discover their journey to mastering the art of the financial markets. Dr. Brett Steenbarger is a psychologist and performance coach to traders. He's written several books, including The Psychology of Trading, The Daily Trading Coach, and his latest book, Trading Psychology 2.0. Each week, he has coaching sessions with traders and hedge fund managers in the US, Europe, and Asia giving them techniques to better understand the vagaries of the markets and offering critical advice to improve performance. He applies the latest research and findings in psychology and behavioural finance to give traders practical takeaways. Unlike many other psychologists, Brett is also a trader, giving him that deeper perspective into the thinking behind the trades. Joining me from New York, welcome Brett.
1: Hi, how are you? Going well, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you for
0: having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Brett, you're a psychologist and a trader. So in many ways, you've got a unique perspective on the markets. What What goes on in the minds of traders uh, is an important part of your brief, uh, uh, naturally, and we'll get to that. But what came first for you? Was it the psychology or the trading?
1: Uh, yes, the psychology came first. I, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I worked for many years applying psychology to professionals in the field of medicine. I've had a long-standing interest in trading myself. I began trading in the late 1970s during my graduate school time, and it was always a side interest of mine. So while I was training to be a psychologist, I was following financial markets and trading. And it was only later in my career that I decided to put those together and write a book called The Psychology of Trading. And that was discovered by some firms and by some traders, and that's how I started applying the psychology to their work. So
0: each week now you're at different trading firms, coaching traders and hedge fund managers, and you're coaching people all over the world from the US to London to Asia. Is there a main issue or a common theme that you see recurring in traders all over the world?
1: There are common issues and challenges. Many of those are based on the experience level of the trader so that we have more beginning traders who are dealing with the challenges and the frustrations of their learning curve. And we have more experienced traders who may be managing significant capital and are dealing with the pressures of making and losing large amounts of money when markets move quite a bit. So there are different issues depending on where traders are at in their developmental curves what are some of the problems more experienced try to face there are several they experience performance pressure issues so for instance if they draw down if they lose money uh, they feel a lot of pressure to make that back they have a responsibility to the investors. It's the investor capital that they're managing. And so they can feel quite a bit of pressure and they have to make sure that that pressure doesn't unduly interfere with their trading decisions. So that's one common set of issues. A second set of issues happens at the other end of the spectrum when the portfolio managers have been making money and making money and they become confident and then they become overconfident And when they are overconfident, that can interfere with good decision making. So those are a couple of scenarios that I help them with.
0: It's a good time to be talking about this, given that Richard Taylor was uh, awarded the Nobel Prize. Yes. He described uh, what you're just talking about there, the hot hand theory, that one of the dangers for traders is that they'll extrapolate their current success into the future without uh, taking the time. Do you see that much?
1: Uh, that's right, uh, He, uh, Richard Thaler has done some very good work in behavioral economics and many of his studies have shown that we are less rational than we like to think ourselves as being. And so we will fall victim to what are called recency biases. And so if recently we made money, we think that that's going to extend to the future. And if recently we lose money, we can also extrapolate from that. When in fact, many periods of winning and losing are just relatively random occurrences.
0: How how do you coach a trader through that hot hand experience? How do you bring them back down to earth?
1: Yes, good question. And, And what we try to do is help them stand apart from their recent experience. So when a trader feels that he or she has the hot hand, it's my job to press them with questions of what would tell you you're wrong in this situation? How would you recognize that? And helping them make that a regular part of their process to be self-aware, to be asking themselves those questions. It's during the overconfident times that we tend to not doubt ourselves. So I will use exercises where they have to pretend that instead of making a lot of money recently, they've lost money. Would you put those same trades on if your recent experience was losing money instead of making money? Those kinds of questions and exercises help them be a little more thoughtful, a little more self-aware. Britt, is it possible to coach anyone to become a trader? Uh, it is definitely possible to help coach them to be a trader. It's definitely not possible to necessarily coach them to be a successful trader. And that's <laughs> an important difference. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, trading is a performance activity, no less than athletics, no less than being a virtuoso opera singer. You know, can anyone become a professional athlete? Can anyone become a professional on the stage or as a musician? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think people can become competent with practice, but it takes particular inborn talents and it takes real ongoing training to reach a level of expertise. So what are some of those characteristics? Of a successful trader? Yes. Uh, it depends on the type of trading. It turns out I've done research at several different firms about what makes uh, traders successful. And it's very interesting. Different skills play and different talents play into different forms of trading. So, for instance, I work with some firms that emphasize day trading, they're trading uh, very actively, very frequently, every single day. The average holding time of positions can be measured in minutes. That requires unusual capacity for concentration and focus. It requires very quick mental processing. It requires uh, quite a bit of parallel processing, being able to take in lots of information from different places all at one time. That's quite different from working with hedge fund investors let's say uh, equity uh, managers that are trading a long, short portfolio, you know, they are looking at investment ideas of strong companies and weak companies. And they're looking for those to play out over multiple months and maybe even years. And so research and analytics become important to their success. Not so much the very fast thinking.
0: Can you give me an example of some of the issues that you might work through with those different kinds of traders?
1: Yes. So with the very fast traders, one of the issues that comes up occurs when there is a loss of focus. You know, there's research on attention span or or what uh, the psychologist Roy Baumeister calls willpower. And it turns out that it's a finite resource. That we can stay focused and and we can concentrate and we can uh, follow will our will uh, to a degree, but then we overtax those willpower muscles, and we end up losing focus. And so traders end up making more impulsive decisions, more emotional decisions. More decisions that they haven't thought through when they become fatigued, when they lose focus. And so, my role is to help them sustain their focus, but also help them recognize when they are starting to lose that focus so that they can renew themselves. How do they renew themselves? By getting away from the screens. <laughs> that certainly is one way. In other words, if you are taxed in a certain cognitive area, It helps to switch gears and function in a different area. So for instance, they will get away from the screens and do some vigorous exercise, or they'll get away from the screens and engage in some social interaction. Uh, I have uh, money managers who have taken breaks during the day uh, in midday when markets are slower, and they've jogged. One firm that I've worked with actually has a room set aside where people can take power naps, And there's interesting research about how power naps can rejuvenate us. Uh, So they're all different ways, but they involve switching gears and getting away from that constant focus that trading can require.
0: Um, Other experts we've spoken to have have talked about things like meditation as a tool.
1: Yes, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Meditation can be helpful in a number of situations. At the very least, because you're controlling your body's physiological responses, deepening your breathing, increasing your focus, at the very least, it can help dampen the flight or fight responses when we're under stress. So that by itself is useful. But sustained meditation, sustained practice in meditation, I do believe strengthens those focus muscles. I mentioned willpower and the research on that earlier. I found that traders who meditate frequently can, during the middle of the trading day, use their deep breathing, use their focus to center themselves. Like you said, when a crash happens or or when something is going on in markets that they don't understand, they automatically get themselves in the zone, so to speak, which helps them make better decisions. When does a firm reach out to you, Brett? Where are they at? Yes, that's a really good question. Firms reach out to me in two scenarios. One when they're doing really well and one when they're doing really not well. (laughs) Um, When they're doing really well, often they're trying to expand their firm and they're expanding teams within the firm. And so they rely on someone like me to help with the hiring process to help with that expansion. Uh, It is a lot of fun work because things are going well and you're really building on success. The other time obviously is when firms are struggling, when traders are struggling, and they're trying to make some changes and make some improvements. And so my work is to help them figure out what they do well so that they can do more of it. But definitely, Some people are more open to coaching than others. That's something that uh, I play with. So that with some people, we might meet on a very frequent structured basis and other people, it's just as wanted as needed, very occasional. It's tailored to the individual. It's very much tailored to the individual. Uh, One size fits all does not work in this business. You really have to get to know a person, and you have to get to know their trading to figure out what will be most helpful for them.
0: So, what are the physiological responses um, of, of a trader's body when a crash happens?
1: Actually, that was studied uh, by Andrew Lowe at MIT and his team. There are two different studies. Uh, in fact, I recently referenced those on my trader feed blog. And what they found was that in crash type market scenarios, experienced traders responded with moderate physiological levels, but beginning traders, early traders responded with very high emotional arousal. And so what the author speculated was that the experienced trader is using their emotional experience as intuition, as actually as information that they were feeling some level of arousal because something special was happening, whereas the beginning trader was experiencing a huge level of arousal, which felt like panic, and led them to make more panicky trading decisions.
0: Brett, um, for most of us who've been in markets for a while, the period from late 2007 to early 2009 is imprinted on our brains. What was your experience during this time? Did, were you suddenly more in demand?
1: Yes, I was in demand. It was a different kind of demand in that 2007 to 2009 period. Obviously, volatility was quite high. We had quite the bear market uh, during that period. And what happened at a number of places is that strategies that had been working in prior years, uh, particularly in less liquid markets, Uh, some emerging market strategies for instance, really lost liquidity during that time. And there were blowups simply because of that. And so my role was to help managers in those strategies figure out (laughs) exit plans and figure out emergency steps because the environment was so different from what they had seen in, in prior years but there were other traders who really benefited from the enhanced volatility and were able to make money on the downside. One of the nice thing about hedge funds is that they can hedge, they can sell just as easily as they can buy. And so there were a number of people I met with who did very well at that time. That's extremely different from now when volatility has been crushed in many asset classes and Markets just don't move in a nice, straight, directional way. And so the choppiness can be very frustrating for traders and for firms. Hmm. Brett, let's get down into the weeds. Consistent
0: losses for traders often stem from a behavioral pattern that coaches can identify. And in fact, it's been said that most trading problems are persistent and happen over and over again. Are there behavioural patterns that you can identify which lead to consistent losses or trading problems?
1: Yes, uh, but I'm going to qualify my response because I find it's just as common for poor trading practices to lead to psychological upheaval as for psychological problems to cause poor trading. In other words, when people speak with me they assume that the emotional issues come first and disrupt the trading. And that's not necessarily so. So for instance, if you have a manager who has a number of positions in their book, they have what they believe to be a diversified portfolio, and then within a short amount of time, correlations among those assets rise so that instead of having a nice diversified book, suddenly they have five positions all moving the exact same way doing the same thing and that creates undue volatility in their p l which means that they respond they react in a much more exaggerated emotional way and so their problem actually was a problem of portfolio construction and the failure to adapt to a changing volatility regime Uh, that's what caused the psychological issue It wasn't that the psychology caused the poor trading. Okay. But to your point, there are repetitive psychological issues that occur uh, with people, and I do help them with that. So, for instance, one of them involves just the self-talk that traders engage in, particularly when they are not making money or when they're losing money. Traders tend to be very achievement-oriented people. They are demanding of themselves, and so when they don't perform well, they can become their own harshest critics, and that creates undue emotional upset, which then can skew their subsequent trading decisions. So my role is to help them literally think about their thinking, step back, become aware of that perfectionistic self-talk so that they can truly serve as their own coach and talk to themselves in a much more constructive way so is listening to self-talk one of the ways traders can recognize the negative or unhelpful patterns that's right and so uh, for instance when we keep a cognitive journal they're actually writing out their self-talk and by writing it out suddenly you're seeing it in front of you and you're able to see it more objectively one of the exercises i talk about in my book is imagine yourself as a separate person. Imagine, Or just imagine that you're talking to someone you care about in the situation that you're finding yourself in. So if someone who you care about has just lost money on some trades or investments, how would you talk to them? Chances are you're a reasonably sensitive human being. You wouldn't start berating them and kicking them when they're down. And yet that's precisely what we can do to ourselves. So by imagining that talking to someone else, they're able to identify a more constructive form of self-talk. So we often talk about
0: um, the emotional impact of trading and, and the impact that emotions have on trading. Could we be more explicit about that? What emotions in particular do traders have to deal with?
1: Well, there are many emotions that do impact trading, uh, and they go beyond the usual discussion of fear and greed. Those certainly uh, do impact. I find one of the most common emotions that impacts trading is frustration. Again, traders are achievement-oriented. They want to win. They're competitive. And so when they go through periods of time where they're not achieving returns, they can become Quite frustrated. And out of that frustration, they can end up trying to make things happen, trying to force trades. And, and that's precisely when a normal drawdown can become an actual trading slump. So, frustration is, is a really big one. Uh, a second one that I mentioned earlier is overexcitement or overconfidence that traders see some big opportunities and their eyes light up and they get over eager and they can take some imprudent risks just out of that excitement.
0: Let's go back to fear and greed, if we could. Mm -hmm. Uh, I realize for somebody with your extensive history in markets and psychology that this is very uh, much plain vanilla, but for some of our newer traders, it's important for them to understand the impacts of fear and greed on their trading. Can you help them with that?
1: Yes, and one of the ways that fear and greed uh, impact trading is through our levels of risk-taking. This is particularly true with newer traders. Many times, they don't necessarily have very large account sizes. They're trading a relatively small amount of capital, and yet they have dreams that they're going to achieve riches or at the very least support themselves financially on this small capital base. And so that leads them to take quite a bit of risk on that low capital in order to make the larger returns. That's the greed part. And of course, when they are wrong in some of their decisions, they can end up losing quite a bit of money quickly, and that is the fear part. So, in many cases, we see fear and greed oscillating because people are taking too much risk for the amount of capital that they
0: have. So, do successful traders overcome their emotions or do they work with their emotions?
1: Great question. Great question. Uh, No, they do uh, overcoming emotions. You know, if that's really your goal, then it makes sense to create algorithms with your trading rules and let the computer make all the decisions, right? right. Uh, that would be emotion free trading. But if a discretionary trader really has some gut feel or some intuitive insight into markets, then that gut feel is emotion, it's feeling. And being attuned to that can be real information
0: so using that as input to your trading system using your emotions as as data Uh,
1: yes using emotions as input for experienced traders it takes quite a bit of experience to develop that intuitive base and so it's not something a beginning trader could do but for the experienced discretionary trader yes that feel for markets is real data, real information. A great example is a trader I work with who had an idea about the markets and a news event, uh, it was actually a data release, came out. And his market should have really exploded his way based on this data release, and it didn't even budge. And he immediately felt some frustration And he felt surprise, and he quickly engaged in self-talk to say, wait a minute, if I'm feeling this other people are feeling this and maybe I shouldn't be in this trade. Maybe it's going to go the other way. He quickly flipped his position and ended up making quite a bit of money. It was all because his talk around the emotional experience gave him a greater degree of flexibility so that his actions could be different
0: his self awareness was key
1: yes yes his self awareness and his market awareness yes he was very much able to step apart from his position you know we we hear about traders who trade with quote unquote conviction you know they have this strong deep belief in their view but many times that level of confidence or conviction can lock us into a view and we don't have that cognitive flexibility. We don't have that ability to flip the trade, as it were. Okay. Brett, in your new book,
0: Trading Psychology 2.0, you talk a lot about positive psychology.
1: How how do you apply it to trading? The research in positive psychology emphasizes four areas of positive emotional experience. Uh, One is happiness, having fun doing things. The second is meaningfulness, doing things that are deeply significant to you. The third one is energy, doing things that give you energy, either physical energy as an exercise or uh, maybe stimulate you in an intellectual sense. And the fourth area are relationships, activities that bring you closer to the people that matter to you. And so positive psychology encourages us to not just focus on solving problems, but to be firing on all four of those cylinders to make sure every single week we're doing things that are fun and enjoyable. Every single week we're doing things that are deeply meaningful to us. We're doing things that energize us. We're doing things that keep us close to the people that matter to us. And when we have those positives in our lives, it really balances out the stresses that we can face in our work.
0: When we think of traders, we don't often conjure up the term creativity, but you would argue otherwise.
1: Yes, and, and uh, in, the, in, in the recent uh, book that I wrote, The Trading Psychology 2.0, that was a major part of the book. Uh, and the reason for that is that earlier versions of trading psychology emphasized discipline, emotional control as being the cardinal elements of trading success. But when markets change, and trending markets are no longer trending markets, volatile markets are no longer volatile, different approaches end up being successful. What worked in one market environment no longer works in the new one. And so if all we do is stay faithful to a single trading approach and call that discipline, we end up becoming dinosaurs. We end up not adapting to changing market conditions. What helps us adapt is creativity, is being able to generate new and different ideas to guide the investment of our funds. And there are exercises, there are books that talk about how we can enhance our creativity. And that's an area of trading that has gone neglected for too long. So what are you looking for in new traders in the hiring process? Take a look at the trades they've made. In other words, you have to talk shop. You have to get under the hood. You have to talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And uh, for instance, in the hedge fund world, I know which trades are super popular. I know which ones are consensus. I know which ideas I've heard at the last five firms I've worked at. And so if I talk with a a trader who's applying for a position and they come up with the same ideas that everyone else has using the same information that other people have used, there's not much unique to their process. They're not going to help add relatively uncorrelated returns to any firm. If a trader, on the other hand, has a unique idea I haven't heard and they've come up with that idea in a unique way. And it hits me upside the head like, wow, that's really interesting. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, very often, that's a good indication that they're doing something unique that's worth looking into. Originality of thought. That, you know, it, it's the ability to think independently, to be different from the herd, and the ability to think in an original fashion and to have the courage of those original convictions. Well, that sounds like the perfect point to
0: wrap up our chat today, Brett. Thank you very much for your generosity and your time today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, uh, enjoy being able to share some perspectives uh, with your audience.
0: That was Dr. Brett Steenbarger. To read an exclusive article outlining Brett's four psychological strengths of successful traders, head to our website, theartfultraderpodcast.com. Their podcast listeners as well as new and existing clients can also access some limited time offers. The Artful Trader is an original podcast series by CMC Markets, a global leader in online trading. To stay up to date with new episodes, subscribe now on iTunes or wherever you download your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to share it with your friends and leave us a rating as it'll help others find the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael McCarthy and this is the artful trader.